Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Melissa and Peter. Melissa and Peter are the founders of YouTube's Youth Road Safety, a self-funded organization that's aimed at raising awareness around youth safety on roads. Uh, The reason they started this organization is because their son, Jordan, uh, eight years ago now, was in a terrible accident. So welcome to the show, you guys. Um, How's it going? Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And so can you please tell me a little bit about what happened in Jordan's accident? What, where was he and how did that come about? So first and foremost, we don't really refer to it as an accident. We call it a crash. But um, back in 2012, on the 8th of December, Jordan was returning from a work Christmas party and he had been drinking um, that night, was under the influence of alcohol and um, marijuana and he was also speeding on the highway. And just after midnight, he hit a stationary car that contained five young adults in it. And only one of those drivers was able to get out of the, other, out of the car. And um, very sadly, the other four occupants of that car were, uh, were killed. And it was right before um, Christmas. And I guess to uh, make matters worse, um, two of the occupants in the car had a 15-month-old little girl and that, that young girl was left an orphan that night and the only survivor was the driver who was a 16 year old um l plater who managed to to get out of the car right so he's just at a work christmas party how old was he when this happened he was 18 and a half okay so he's young and where where was he working at the time so he was working uh, uh he was an apprentice um, carpenter up in Brisbane and he'd only been out of home for four and a half months so he'd moved from the Gold Coast to Brisbane and he was very excited that night to go to his first ever work uh, Christmas party you know he was we spoke to him earlier that day and he was you know in really good spirits and he was such a, a good and happy kid that you know he, he literally had his whole life in front of him and it was going to be a bright um, future that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where was this party? Where Was it at the pub? And like, what actually went on at this party? It was in a hotel um, in Brisbane. Um, look, his, his, his boss, the company he worked for, did all the responsible things that you do. They, they, they paid for a taxi to send the, you know, the staff home um, after the party. Um, and it was after Jordan had returned home from from the, the work Christmas event that you know he made the decision that he would beat the Saturday morning traffic and um, return to the Gold Coast to uh, you know, catch up with his mates for a surf and, and so on first thing Saturday morning. But um, you know he clearly didn't make it. But yeah, that, that, that were the circumstances. Um, there really is no sense of you know, culpability or blame attached to anyone else but Jordan himself for, for making mm. Oh, but he, he was young and stupid mm. and, mm-hmm. you know, so first work Christmas party, super excited to be out with the boys and, like, how drunk was he when he got in that car? 
well, his toxicology report showed he was two and a half times over the legal limit. So I'm actually not sure how many drinks that may have equated to him um, drinking in the course of the night. And um, I'm not sure at what point he had, he definitely had some beers with his mates at the pub. Um, but there's a period of time where he was not with the mates, so did he drink then? I'm not sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, he was two and a half mm -hmm. times over the legal limit. And, and that's... It's also important to note that the, the legal limit for a pee pater is zero. Zero, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So right, so he was on his peas, yeah. You respect. Yeah. No drinking okay. is tolerable. So what time did the accident happen or crash, as you say? Um, it probably happened closest to midnight, but the first responding um, officers arrived at 10 past 12 on the 8th of December. Right. This was just up near um, Dreamworld on the Gold Coast, if you know that stretch of the highway. Yeah, I do, yeah. So what were those guys doing sitting in the car? They're just kind of parked in the car beside the highway? They had a, unfortunately, you know, horrible, they had a breakdown. So uh, they were out for the evening and, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they, their car broke down and they were waiting for assistance in the emergency stopping lane. Right, okay. So was Jordan... So driving, yeah. Was he in his work ute? Was he, did he have a work ute, you know, as like a young tradie boy? Yeah, he didn't, he, he didn't have a typical tradies car, but by, he was very close to achieving, <laughs> saving for one. You know, that was his aspiration yeah. to have himself do it. But no, he had, a, he had his first car that he you know, diligently saved for and, and bought. And we often say this and we, you know, as part of our presentations and we're fortunate to have many images and, and, and film and footage of, of, of Jordan and his life. And, mm. We show young people his first car that he was so proud of that he bought and yeah. we also talk about that as him inadvertently having purchased his own coffin, which is a confronting thing to say. But He had no idea, I actually well, say, you know, he yeah. had no idea that he purchased and was mm. driving around in his very own coffin. Mm. Yeah, so um, to answer your question, no, no, no work you, but that yeah. wasn't far off in his future. Right, okay, but it's that time of year, it's summer, spirits are high, mm. he's like, I'm just going to get the jump on this and go see my friends. And, okay, so this, were they a family, the people in the car? Were they, or they were they just a group of friends? Just a group of friends. So there was um, two couples, so an older couple that was 23 and I think 20, they had a child together. Yeah. And there were two, 17 and a... 18-year-old couple in the back and then the driver who was the, the L-plater. Right. Okay. Okay. Just so, things. yeah. So when did you first hear that this had happened? Did you get a call that night? I'm, I'm guessing pretty soon after this you get a phone call. No? No, we didn't. Um, Peter and I are both early risers, so we were up at... Um, Second, the sun's up, we're up, and we were sitting on our actually this lounge that we're on right now, having our morning cups of tea like we do every single morning. So we yep. start off up here, and we live in a three-story walk-up, and um, our unit um, phone buzzed, our air phone buzzed, and when I answered it, I was greeted by two police officers, and I distinctly remember thinking that that's so odd. What are police doing on my front doorstep? So I just assumed my car must have been stolen or something. You know, we're not criminals. It's not common for um, police to be on our doorstep. So I walked down my three flights of stairs to let these, these um, policemen in. And as I rounded that 
that last set of stairs and I saw the two forlorn officers through that glass door, um, you know, my heart absolutely sank. My legs gave way, but I was about to be sick and I absolutely knew then when I was looking at those officers that I was about to be given some really horrific news. So I opened the door and, and they wouldn't tell me what was going on and they just said, can we come upstairs? So I, we walked back upstairs and my legs had just, they just turned to jelly. I just, I can't even describe it. And I was all, it's like I was crawling up those stairs because my legs just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. I walked in and I said to Peter, the police are here. And they said something along the lines of, you know, take a seat, is there someone we can call? And you know, I'm saying, no, you know, my husband's here. What is it? What's happened? And that's when they said, you know, there's been an accident um, in Cooma and we believe that your son, Jordan Hayes McGuinness, was, was fatally injured or something quite clinical like that. And, you know, they, they could have been talking in Japanese for um, all I knew because I was listening to the words and I knew what was coming out of their mouth, but I, I just, I couldn't make sense. Like, what do, what do you mean? You, are you saying that Jordan's dead? Like, this sort of stuff just makes just just no sense. You know, it was just an awful, mm. just an awful, awful. Yeah, pretty much meant, went as you would expect these things to go. And um, unfortunately, you know, any of your listeners that have experienced something similar will understand the impact of that kind of visit. And um, it's hard also not to empathise with the police who have to deliver these messages as no, well. It's an awful, um, awful set of circumstances in the moment. It is part of their daily jobs, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of them end up with PTSD. Um, mm -hmm. But so you get this news and you have two daughters as well, right? With your girls at home at that time? Yeah, so um, Peter was Jordan's stepfather mm -hmm. um, and um, he was stepfather to my oldest daughter who was 10 at the time and um, Kitty, we have a, a child who was four. Kitty was home and Montana wasn't. She was um, she was out with some friends and um, thank goodness because it was just such an awful morning. And Kitty, she was only four. Uh, she was with us and she heard the news. She saw us break down, but she really couldn't understand, you know, at four, what does that mean? She just sat mm -hmm. with us and held our hand and cuddled us and knew that there was something, you know, drastically wrong. Mum and Dad aren't usually crying like this and we don't normally have police in our in our house but she yeah for all intents and purposes she didn't understand what was going on yeah that's that's four's very young and so what happens then the police leave do you what what do you do with yourself once you've been given this kind of information um we needed to go through a, a very sort of uh, perfunctory process we 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 had to attend the I think it was the, the local, yeah. well, the nearest police station where the road policing command had, first responding the first responding there. officers had been managing this, this scenario since mm -hmm. the middle of the night. You know, there were some belongings for us, such as they were, to, to pick up that were recovered from Jordan's vehicle, just a minute to just a few little bits and pieces and, and so on. And when that, that 
process was finished, which took maybe an hour or so, um, you kind of left with the new world that you occupy, that you live in, and the reality of needing to inform everyone else who was one of Jordan's loved ones as to what had happened. And of course, this was um, all over the the news by this stage because it was a major uh, news news event at the time. So. Um, Really, from from then on, and you could probably put this into months and even and even years. And of course, we're not recovered now, let alone Jordan's victims of being in a you know, worse boat even than us. But I mean, certainly for those that first day, week, months, years, are almost a blur. You know, you, we're we're just seeking ways of putting one foot in front of the other and living from one day to the next, making sure that we're present for each other, you know, and, and present for our girls. Yeah. Yeah, because I've I have heard that that process of having to call people like it, like you know that you're kind of constantly being re-traumatized because, and also just mm. like that the actual practicalities of finding people's phone numbers and and tracking yeah. people down and making sure that you're the first person who tells them that they don't hear it on the news or they don't hear it from somebody else and I've heard that that process can be very very challenging because there's a lot of people to consider and so. Mm. So there's not just that, but it's at what point did the police tell you that there'd been other people involved in the accident and did they tell you the circumstances of the accident? Sort of. So interestingly enough, um, I didn't realise this in, uh, until we were part of um, what had taken place, but the police don't announce or the media are not allowed to release the names of the victims until the families have been notified for that very reason so that you don't yeah. turn on your TV and discover that your son has just been in a car accident and and died. So they were able to give us a little bit of information. So we knew that morning when the police were here that um, he'd hit a car and that there were four other people inside that car that had also died. That was pretty much as much as they were able to release yeah. to us. And I didn't find out. I did know that he had been drinking because he wasn't supposed to drive down, down to the Gold Coast that night. He was supposed to be coming up about midday the next day. But we'd been texting with him earlier on the night and he'd said he'd had a few beers and that he was having a good time at the party. So, you know, straight away I knew that he had some drinks. To what extent, um, I didn't know. And I didn't find that out until his autopsy. And as for he had smoked some marijuana at some point, I didn't know that he smoked marijuana. And I, I believe it was, uh, according to some of his mates, it wasn't something that he partook in daily. It was an on-occasion type um, event. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know about your kids. Well, he's also just been at a Christmas party too. So I guess... <laughs> You know, it's this could be so many people's kids, mm. you know, mm. like if everybody's truly honest about their own behaviour. Um, I, like I have friends who've been sentenced for drink driving and mm. so there's so many factors like how much you ate that day, like all these kind of things. And also being so young, you don't have that gauge you don't have the off switch that you develop as you get older because you're like oh consequences like there's still some little bell in your brain that goes oh you've got a toddler you have to look after tomorrow or whatever 
teenagers do not have that, especially boys. And so without sort of justifying his actions, um, he was just really inexperienced in lots of ways. And, and that inexperience obviously is, is the issue that you're trying to educate other kids Mm. about so that they don't wind up in the same boat because Mm. it could just be so many people. Because have you had other parents of kids who've been in similar situations come to you? Like their kids have also died. Have, Mm. have, have you got a network of other parents to support you? We are developing an informal network of this nature. And certainly one of the, uh, one of the goals of, of YouTube's Youth Road Safety is to provide sort of an enduring platform and, and network and resources to be able to continue to, to facilitate the social movement to change driving behaviours mm. that well and truly outlives our personal narrative and our personal backstory and really, you know, places ownership of, of, of better driving culture into the hands of young people. Mm. And there are, there are families that are out there that are similar to ours, that have experienced similar things, who also seek in time, once their grief is reshaped, you know, after their, their events to, to make a difference and have an effect on, mm. on road trauma. So the answer is, yeah, yeah, we, we, we have interacted with, with, with numerous or some families that have had similar experiences to ours and also with organisations like the Australian Road Safety Foundation mm. and their Fatality Free Friday. But I, I, I think it's important to actually just address a couple of things that you put to us at the start of your question, which like, speaks to young people and their propensity to take more risk than what they would do when they're older and to, I guess, use the language of luck and bad fortune that is attached to these sort of tragic circumstances. And look, it's human nature and it's normal sympathetic behaviour to look at the likes of Jordan and to use that kind of language. Poor Jordan, he was inexperienced. Um, That's what an 18-year-old boy does. Um, And by gee, we hear this a lot. Um, We've all done it. You know, there, there, but the poor, the grace of God go, etc. The language of luck. Mm. One of the major issues that we address with what we do is to challenge young people to remove the language of luck from from the culture of driving, because youth road trauma, and certainly Jordan, and particularly his victims, absolute exa- examples of this luck had nothing to do with it. Jordan's victims had the accident. Mm. Jordan didn't have an accident. Jordan had a, a pattern of reckless driving, albeit he didn't drive drunk all the time or didn't smoke weed all the time. But we now know that he he sped, that he tailgated, that he lane chopped, all the sort of thing behaviours that we often see amongst P players. Mm. So um we find ourselves in a position where we're able to speak to, to the language and the sympathetic language of luck. Mm. Poor Jordan, we've done it. And, of course, poor Jordan naturally didn't have an intent to kill anyone. And, yes, he's very relatable as a teenager and we're relatable as a family and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, intent 
and relatability have no effect on what happened to Jordan's victims mm. and their and their families through the generations and, and Jordan's own family and his siblings and so on. So it's an important message, not to just to get out to the students, but to the road-using public in general, that it's time that we dropped the semantics of luck. Mm. It's time that we stopped giving people an out by saying, well, if you're aged 18 to 25, you're neurologically predisposed to taking risk. You don't think through consequences and so on. We think that young people are better than that. We know that Jordan was better than that. Mm. So how do we challenge them to take accountability and to not just leave these awful, miserable outcomes of bad driving choices up to luck? Mm. Because you touched on the victims' families. So have you met them and do you have a relationship with them? We don't. It's a, it's a it's it's, very tricky. it's a it's a it's a fraught issue. We always received advice, and we continue to receive advice um, from police that we should be very circumspect about reaching out to Jordan's victims' families um, if they don't seek contact with us first. And we trust that that advice is built on lots of experience and, and so on. So we follow that advice. Um, naturally, in our heart of hearts, and Melissa can speak to this as well, of course, is that we, we, we would desperately love to, to express how tremendously sorry that we are and, uh, and so on. And, um, but that really would be, as the police point out to us, for our purposes, not theirs. So, you know, we, we've respected the advice that we've received to this point to, to not instigate contact. We did have contact with one of the families and that, and that was positive, but I don't know if these people are, you know, if the, the family members know each other. Um, but, the, you know, it's the, you know, I, I think, I think about those families every single day. It's the stuff that still keeps me awake at night for all the good things Jordan did in his life. That's how he finished it. And he absolutely ruined and destroyed the life of four other families. And, you know, and that little girl, little Annabelle Max, that's been orphaned at 15, sorry, 15 months. Um, and that, it's really hard to know that there are people out there suffering like, like we suffer. So it's been an, yeah, worse. It's been an interesting element because we've, had to grieve Jordan, but we've also had have to uh, acknowledge, accept, and own his poor behaviour. You know that's the legacy that's sort of been left on on us. Jordan doesn't have a voice. Um, you know he he would never have set out to to do what he did that night. He'd be absolutely horrified to know what he's done to his family and what he's done to those victims' families. And you can't. You cannot sugarcoat a turd here. Uh, he did the wrong thing. And, um, you know, if, if I ever got the opportunity, I would love to just go and throw my arms around those bams and just say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for Jordan's actions. You know, that's how I feel. It's, it, is, it is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. But anyway, it's, it, um, I wouldn't be human if I didn't feel this way. Anyone in, in our situation 
would have these feelings. Well, I guess in the meantime, that what we are, what we can do, is to find some sort of sense, purpose, and, and mission behind the circumstances, and 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 to be intentional about seeking, you know, change, so that uh, there, there are no or, or there are minimised number of of new victims of this mm. kind of driving behaviour. You know, mm. and in that way, we may be able to at least, you know, respect um, the, the culpability of our son in, in the deaths of, the, of, of his victims. Yeah. Look, I think intention is a big thing. So your son had no intention to hurt anybody. Um, so I think that probably changes the dynamic around the kind of victim relationship because he, there was no intent there. Um, so let's talk about Jordan. What was he like? What kind of guy was he? Uh, he was, he was just a typical teenager, really. He was right into his, um, rugby so, you know, that, that was his goal. He wanted to be a professional rugby player. So he was into sort of, you know, his health, rugby, we live on the beach. So he, you know, was out surfing every opportunity that he could and all of his mates were, were um, surfers. And when he wasn't surfing or playing rugby, he was a very, very beautiful big brother to his, his little sisters. You know, there was a bit of an age gap. I think there's eight years between him and Montana and there's 14 years between him and, um, and Kitty. So, you know, he was a beautiful big brother. He was funny. He was popular with the girls. And, you know, um, he was the sort of kid that he, he never left this house without finding me and giving me a kiss goodbye and saying, I love you, Mum. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I would probably gloss over doing that with him. So I'm so grateful that he made that effort every time to go, where is Mum? I'll go and give her a kiss Goodbye. In fact, the last things, um, the last day that we spent together, which is a week before he died, it was a Sunday before he died, and we were shopping for his Christmas presents, just the two of us. And I often have a laugh to myself because it was so rare that just Jordan and I spent time together. Because let's face it, you know, and I say this to the kids, what 18-year-old dirtbag wants to hang out with mum? You know, I get it. And we ended up having this really, um, it was just a really lovely day. We had lunch together, we laughed, we shopped. And um, at the end of the day, I dropped him off at his car at a mate's place in early and um, I gave him a kiss and told him to drive safely on his you know, way home to his new home in Brisbane. And, and um, I said, I love you. And he said, it was his last words to me, it was, I love you too, Mum. You know, so I'm so grateful that he was the sort of kid that could express himself like that. You know, our parting words were words of love and, you know, that's something that I will hold on to and be very grateful for, for you know, as long as, long as I'm alive. Yeah, he, he, he cared about himself. He cared about other people. You know, he, he wasn't was, a saint. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, part of what makes him as relatable as he is to other teens is that, Naturally, we're, we're going to reflect on his, his great attributes and how much we loved him and, and how much he was beloved. But he was by no means a saint. He, he, he was a handful at various times. 
right throughout his life. And uh, but if anything, throughout his as he matured, he was actually developing really quite um, quite good leadership traits. You know, he may have got that through his sport. He definitely got was developing those through his trade. So there was there was a lot to look forward to and a lot to be really genuinely proud of in Jordan. It's going to grab a tissue. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I guess when you put it in context with with how he died, there wasn't anything that you would point to to go, well, you know, here's a person that's got a disregard for other people or, or has got a casual sort of disregard for other people's safety on the road or someone who doesn't care about themselves or only cares about themselves, uh, you know, and doesn't care about others. It just wasn't like that, you know. But, you know, again, can we, we, we keep coming back to this. He did have a pattern of bad driving. Mm. As someone who is a bad driver, like I'm a crappy driver. I have no spatial awareness. And um, so like, yeah, like you do develop a pattern. I'm not talking about him not being able to reverse park. That's me. (laughs) technically a good driver, right? But what he did do was he was known to speed. Mm. He was, you know, I've got no doubt in my mind that he would have been someone who tailgated and lane chopped and demonstrated all of that behaviour, and we'll come back to it again, that you write off as teen-style behaviour. Now, it's not part and parcel of growing up. It's not a necessary part of growing up to do that, no more than it's a necessary part of growing up to to smoke cigarettes. Teens don't smoke much cigarettes anymore. Mm. Well, they certainly don't have to drive with lethal driving habits either. Mm. So, you know, the, the relatability of Jordan, you ask us what he was like as a person, he was very much like most teens. Mm. And we're told that time and again when we do our YouTube Youth Road Safety presentations to groups that he really could be any teen in any audience that, that, that Melissa or I address. Mm. Well, it sounds to me like the grief that you've experienced in losing Jordan has been very much compounded by the fact that he died under these circumstances, that he didn't just die, he died and was kind of the perpetrator in a four-car or four-person fatality. So does that change the nature of your grief somewhat to, like you said that you it's the thing that keeps you awake at night? So beyond the grief at losing a child, is it is it sort of magnified by the circumstances of his death, like, and the news coverage of that, and I guess the attention that your family received as a result of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything is amplified by the fact that there were those other four families. And in those early days, you know, we chose not to watch any TV at all. So I didn't see any of the, the stuff. In fact... It was just too too much to even cope with the idea of what had happened, let alone see it splashed all over the um, the TV. And you can imagine that the types of um, responses people had about the accident, because you, you hear that sort of an accident um, and you immediately assume that the kid is just an absolute mad deadbeat, seed. yeah, mm. mad seed that comes from a really bad family that that's probably what I would think so I would forgive people for feeling um that way but you know 
it's quite the contrary. Jordan comes from, I, I would consider that he comes from a good home, a family that really loved him, and we certainly did not, um, you know, instill these type of behaviours in it. We are both responsible drivers. We don't even, you know, I don't drink alcohol at all if I'm um, driving. It's just, mm. it's just not mm. worth it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the grief aspects are... Um we're still learning about it. We'll continue to learn about it for as long as we live. You know, we certainly haven't got nice, neat answers to any of this. But I think one thing that definitely comes through to us is that there is there is a sense of peace in accepting that there won't be recovery. I know this sounds like a silly notion in many respects but there's just not a nice neat self-help bow that can be tied around this um, there's not that compulsion that we have to heal and to find a silver lining and to and and to discover a great outcome or to have positivity revealed to us by the universe or something similar um, our ability to continue to find love and joy and, and, and grace in life and all those sort of things has been found in us picking up that burden of guilt and culpability that Jordan has left behind on us and just making that another side to the same coin of how much he's beloved and missed. Um, because if we try to resolve these, the, this legacy that he's left behind for us, um, I think we, we're misguided in that. Like we've, we've actually had to own it and say, okay, well, this, this is how we, we respect Jordan's victims and, and, and putting it aside or trying to somehow reinvent history or resolve what he did is not something that's doable. But what we can do is live with it and find a way of living it with it, with, as we say, that purpose and, and, and love. Mm. So you know, we're by no means great at that and we haven't got every answer, <laughs> to say the least. You know, we're, 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 the more we learn, the more we understand that we, we don't have nice, neat answers to working through grief. But every day we're learning to live with the grief. I also recognise all the time that, you know, for, for the grief that I feel, you know, um, grief is actually the price you pay for love. And I remind myself of that daily and I often think that, um, and I'll only speak for myself here, but um, my, my grief is always at odds with itself. So what I mean by that is, for example, I think it was about day six and at one point, day six after he died and, and I laughed at something and then after laughing, I immediately cried because I felt so poorly about myself. How could I possibly laugh? You know, the first time I went on a holiday, I cried the whole flight because I thought, how, how can I possibly go on a holiday and enjoy myself when Jordan's never going to get this opportunity? Um, and, the big, and obviously Jordan's the big, victims. Yes, it's something that we... We carry that willingly. Like it's not something that um, we started out not knowing what to do with it. 
not even being able to identify that we had this, this sense of, we, look, we rationalise and understand that we are not responsible for Jordan's actions. We understand that. However, there is a visceral, deep down, heartfelt guilt that has been transferred from him to his family. And that is a fact. It's not something we've made up. It's something we all feel and that we all carry. Mm. And that... Um, and we recognise we wouldn't be human if we didn't... Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, part of really understanding and respecting and acknowledging the, the, the devastation that Jordan visited on his victims and their families is, is to own this. Mm -hmm. And we don't love or respect Jordan by not owning it either. Mm. It's, it's part of our love for Jordan. We often say this, it, it, had he survived this, this crash that he caused, he would absolutely be in, deservedly in prison. Mm. And he'd be in prison and we'd know that he didn't intend to do what he did, but no, but he would deservedly be paying the price for what he did. And there'd be days where we'd feel like reaching through the prison bars and choking him for what he's done. But it wouldn't mean that we don't love him dearly and that we don't forgive him. Mm. And we do. Yeah. Oh, look, and, you know, you have converted that pain into something very positive. So let's talk about you choose road safety, youth road safety, I should say. Um, let's talk about that. So how did that come about? Yeah, so I just got invited to talk at a um, police organised Road Safety Day in 2017 and it was something I had thought about doing for a long time but I just didn't know how to execute on it so it was a quite a good segue into the beginning of what ended up being YouTube's and that day I spoke to 24 minutes to these 600 students and I was terribly nervous I had never public spoken in my life I had no idea if I would get the words out I had no idea if the kids would just um, fall asleep or boo me or something mm -hmm. surprisingly they were very engaged and um, so I ended up doing another day with my um, Sergeant Tracy Clouston and after that day I had the same response from the kids where the kids came up to me afterwards, they cried, I cried, they hugged me, they thanked me and it made me really think that um, I have this story to share um, with people. It's the worst story you've got to share um, but given that I'm the perpetrator's mother here, it's not just a story of a kid driving into a tree and killing himself. It's a story of a relatable teen uh, doing what he did. But it made me want to embark on trying to talk to other schools. So bit by bit, I just managed to get into other schools thanks to the help, help of parents that knew the story, knew us as parents, uh, knew what we were trying to do. And the result... Um, at each school was the same. The kids were completely engaged. My presentation went up to, it was about an hour, and it's about an hour now. For that whole time, they listened. Um, my message changed along the way as I you know, spoke with students and, and saw what parts resonated with them the most. And, um, and that's pretty much how it started. It was, it was very, very organic in the early days. But I often say that um, this... This, I'm not driving this mission. Mm. 
this mission is driving, uh, it's driving us. I have, every morning I, I have this feeling, this responsibility that if there is anything that I can do to inspire one kid to make sensible choices on the road or not even teens, anyone to make sensible choices or not just on the road, just sensible choices, I'm going to do whatever I can mm. do. And you know, I work four days a week running an office for a development firm and my husband works and he's studying. So, you know, we do all this YouTube stuff. We, we self-fund it and we do it all um, outside of our normal job working hours. So we are very, very mm. passionate about sharing um sharing our story and we hope to get this mm. into all Australian schools and I know that you know I can't get around to however many schools there are in Australia but we you know there's different ways that we can do it we hope to we questioned before on um, other families that have had trauma you know mm. we would like to help to uplift them and get our pillars around their story and and um, you know make their story part mm. of you too so we've got lots of yeah. strategies we don't come to you choose youth road safety with all the answers because the the message the sense of social movement and the removal of the culture of luck mm. and and fortune from driving is something that far transcends our family's story and the narrative attached to Jordan and his behaviour. Um, our circumstances are, are, are just a vehicle for the message. We help facilitate the young drivers themselves to take accountability and ownership of their choices through our story. Mm. So every time we have we engage with young drivers and young people, every time we have a, a presentation, we learn. We learn about what it is about Jordan's story and our family's story that engages them to the extent that they're engaged because there's been decades of education about right, wrong, safety and danger on the road. Jordan experienced many presentations that are similar to that. So what is it about YouTube's Youth Road Safety that so engages um, the, the young people themselves and their parents? So we're beginning to learn that um, the relatability, the family relatability and, and the concepts of, of love and family and the empowerment of choice is something that, that very much engages the, the young drivers themselves and that they know what safety and danger is. They know what, what bad driving behaviours are. They're very well aware of them. They understand what the legal consequences are, and you touched on it before. They, they, they can, they absolutely understand the legal connotations of intent and all and all of that. But what what engages them about their driving behaviours with with our story is what what effects on their family looks like, what legacy means to them what their relationship with their siblings is like, how they communicate with mum and dad, not just about driving, but about everything. Um, and these are the, this is the sort of humbling experience that we have every time we make one of these presentations, is that our, our story doesn't change. Jordan's story 
Jordan's life ended at 18, as you know, his victims' lives ended that night. Our story will never change. But the way that our story and other stories similar can be used to make a permanent change to driving culture is actually something to be optimistic about. So it sounds like we've got a really bleak story to tell. And believe me, much of our presentation is really confronting and really emotionally raw. Um, throughout the whole time, every single participant is challenged to not see Melissa making the delivery, but their mum. Mm. They see yourself and, and Jordan's siblings as part of Jordan's story and his life. Mm. They don't see us. They see their own families and they see their own peers. Um, so that is must, what news is about. Mm. It must take a huge toll on you to continually tell this story and to put yourself out there in this way. So like, do you think it's sustainable to continue doing this? Is this something you see yourself doing? Like you mentioned that, you know, you want it to be national, you want it to be a big movement. Um, but what about just caring for yourselves? Can you keep this up? Like, is this something you can keep doing? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I hope so. At this point in time, um, even whilst doing these presentations is physically draining, because I do, I still cry at most of the presentations. Sometimes if I've done three in one day, by the third one, you know, the, the tears are dry. But um, there's also an element um, that I find very uplifting in this process. So whilst I'm reliving that very, very sad part of my life, it's very uplifting to know that someone that's sitting in that audience might hear that story and it might, you know, save their life or save, save their friend's life. So for me, doing this, I find it enormously uplifting. I almost feel like I've been given a gift through this horrendous misery that we find ourselves in and, and living with an, an emotionally empty tank for the past nearly eight years. Um, it's really nice to find the peace, the grace, the purpose inside all of this misery and know that we might be able to make a difference. So for the here and now, I feel like I could do it for the rest of my life at the pace I'm going. Mm. Who knows, maybe when I'm 60 I might slow down, but I don't know where this energy comes from. Mm. I, you know, it's palpable inside me. I can't help it. I need uh, to go and, and share this message because I really do think that the teens are relating and it might mm. make a difference. Mm. I think that the energy, it's draining. It definitely, it, it, it's draining. But it's actually not about us. Um, I, I think if we were using YouTube as some sort of therapy for ourselves or, or some sort of key to to recovery or, or, or as an instrument to assist us with our grief, then I don't think it would be sustainable because we wouldn't find the answers that we seek inside YouTube. They're not there. So it's not draining us of, of, of the ability to keep executing on, on the presentations and growing the social movement because every school that we visit, we leave behind an ownership of the movement. 
Mm. There's, we, we encourage student leadership and, and, and young driver leadership of the messages that we've got involved. We, we've, we tend to underestimate kids. I'm not talking about us, but all of us. Um, they're out there gluing their backsides to the road about climate. They're very passionate about, about engaging, engaging their communities and, and advocacy of, of diversity issues and inclusiveness and stuff like that. And if we go through the simple process during our presentations of saying right now, today, immediately, you can, you can protect your own family and your peer group and families you don't even know from the misery that's been visited upon our family and Jordan's victims' families simply by being an advocate of simple changes to your driving habits. It's not luck. You can do it. You're doing it over all of these other types of issues. And that's what keeps us going and that's what keeps the tank filled. We know that we'll stop being relatable as mum and dad before too long. You know, Father Time's going to work away at us. Um, but success for us will look like leaving behind you know, a platform of, of resources and a, and a network where other families can step in it facilitate you know, the movement for change. Yeah. Um, so how can people connect with you? How can people connect with this program? Um, it, it's very simple. I, I suppose you, you wouldn't expect us to say anything different. Visit the website. It's, it, it's youchooseyrs.org.au um, and there's all manner of ways that you can support and advocate um, what we do. I often suggest too mm. that um, anyone listening to this that, that would like to see you choose at their school or their grandchild's school or whatever to contact the senior school advisor and just get them to mm. contact us direct. I will move heaven and earth to get mm, to, to whatever school. school, yeah. Yeah, we, we're a registered not-for-profit um, organisation, which means we've got a constitutional purpose and that purpose is to visit every Australian high school with this message. And to do what we're doing now with you, Emma, and to contribute to public discourse, you know, about, about youth road trauma and to engage with the likes of, of um, Fatality Free Friday and, you know, the, the wonderful, incredible work um, of the Australian Road Safety Foundation. So, you know, we're very humbled to be able to work with them on that. Yeah. And can people donate money to you? Like, because this cannot be cheap. You are spending a lot of your own time and you are travelling to these events. Um, can people donate money? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, at, at, at youchooseyrs.org.au, um, there's very easy ways to support what we're doing, both financially and also through advocacy, as Melissa says, to schools, to local councils and so on. So many different ways that people can be a part of the movement. And um, we call it that for a reason because this, this is not the story of one family. This is not the story of, of one driver uh, and his victims. It, it, everyone can contribute to this in the smallest, the smallest ways, big ways. There's nothing that's not welcome in terms of contributing to, to the message. So you're contributing right now. Yeah, yeah you are. So thank you very much. Oh, it is a pleasure. Um, so in terms of advice, if you were to meet some other parents who had been through this situation or 
similar situation. Um, what advice would you give someone who finds themselves in shoes like your shoes? Oh my goodness, I, I, I'm actually not sure because I'm I'm an expert at being a grief-stricken mother of a son who killed four people while strength driving. I'm an expert in that. Um, in my situation, I had, you know, a husband that has been an absolute rock for me. I've, you know, got a wonderful support network of friends. I've got, you know, other children that, you know, I can... Um, uh, Parent, so I'm not sure that I could give anyone advice because depending on the circumstances of what your life is like, the type of person that you are, mm. I guess it. My advice, and I, I'm not sure if it's um, worth anything for me. It was about setting myself a goal that, particularly in those first two years, that my goal each day was just to get to the sunset. So I'd sit out on my balcony every afternoon and I would watch the sun set and that would be my moment to think about Jordan. So I wasn't worried about the next day. It was just my goal today is to get to the end of today. And I kept myself so enormously busy because otherwise I, I would have just been a basket case. So for me, that's, that's what worked. Would that work for other people? I'm not sure. I think we were very fortunate if you could call it good fortune, you know, there's nothing we wouldn't give to go back to pre-December 2012. Yeah. You know, believe me, there's there's nothing interesting that your show's called The Shit Show. There's there's nothing but shit attached to, attached to post-December 2012 for us. So we willingly, obviously, go back to before that day. But having got the reality that we've got, you know, I, I think such as advice as we could give would be to just be as gentle as possible with yourself and to not put a external prescriptive way of dealing with things upon yourself. The answers aren't contained in 2,000 words in a book, in a bookstore you're probably not going to find the, the, the answers in pop wisdom or no amount of, of your loved ones or friendship circles and their desperate, um, their, their, their desperate loving efforts to heal you are going to heal you. Time and love... Is, is, is all under the circumstances that we've had at least. And I'd maybe say so, too, you know, you do whatever you need to do mm, to get by. Mm, and whatever that looks like, you, you know what you're capable of. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I guess it's sort of easy for us to say because we've dealt with things very similarly to each other. Thank goodness. And having visited our version and it's a deep one, but the bottom of the barrel that we've been to, we've had the perspective of the fact that there are victims to these circumstances whose bottom of the barrel might be deeper than ours or yes. different to ours that we've we've had to consider. And, and you know, that's put context on it. And, and we know that if we were a couple that dealt with things differently, neither right nor wrong, but just differently, this is the type of thing that could split you. Yeah. Um, 
and it would be completely understandable. You know, we're very, very blessed that these circumstances have actually made us closer and 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 more genuinely respectful of each other and 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 the admiration that I've got from Melissa is far exceeds what I would have been able to develop in ten lifetimes had we not gone through what we've gone through. So um, it would be a bit arrogant for us to really give advice because I think we've been really fortunate and really blessed to have each other. I think sometimes, uh, and I thought this very early on in the piece, is that you don't know your own strength until you've got no other choice. Mm. You, know, you just don't know what you're capable of. And had somebody told me this is what I would be doing, wind about 10 years and somebody said mm. you'd survive your son dying, I wouldn't have believed no. that. Mm. But to have said that, you know, we're working as hard as we're working with the passion and the purpose and the grace mm. that we're working with. You know, I would never believe that in a million years, mm. but, you know, here we are and, oh, man, we are just mm. so, mm. so mm. passionate to do whatever we can do. Mm. Yeah. If you could say something to Jordan, what would you say to him? I wish you hadn't have done this. I wish you'd just made some more sensible choices. They, for me, they'd, they'd, they'd be words of forgiveness. Um, I know we can come off as being really harsh with the way that we approach Jordan's centrality, you know, to what, to what happened, you know. Um, And I think we'd be harsh to him. It's well, valuable. It's a typical thing with parents is like yeah. if your kids, yeah. you don't know where they are and then they show up and you're angry at them even though you've yeah. like been missing them. Yes. This, seriously this worried. What would be said to him? I think I might have alluded to it before. I think I'd want to choke him. We often joke about that. Yeah, we do, we? you know. Um, if I could find him, I'd kill him for what he's done to us. Yes, but... He's done to everybody. everybody. But it, it, you're astute to talk about intent, Emma, because we know he would not have had intent. Now, intent or not, it is what it is, and that's a very important message to get across to teens. And that's what is at the bottom of it. He'd know that he didn't mean to do it, but he'd be, he would be living through prison right now because of what he did, intent or not. So that's where we'd be talking to him about forgiveness and about how much we love him, you know, and that, and we, and we, you know, just the fact of missing him in all the small ways that you miss a companion and and a loved one, you know, and we miss his future. We we, we miss. We can't anticipate what we miss. Yeah. But he's certainly a character that was a joyful, a joyful type to everyone that he had anything to do with, despite the legacy that he's left behind. So uh, we've, we've got a chance. We'd definitely be saying how much we just missed his um, the light that he brought to people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you've been through this and. Mm-hmm. 
I'm so grateful that you're willing to share your story because a lot of people wouldn't have the guts to do it uh, because you're really opening yourself up to that feeling that you are bearing the burden of your son's crime uh, in as much as it was just a totally unintentional, let's just call it a, just a terrible, terrible lapse in good decision-making. Um, and we've all been there. Everyone's made terrible choices. Um, and, but fortunately, and there's that language of luck, um, you know, a lot of people's bad decisions don't end this way. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story. I strongly encourage everyone to go to You Choose Youth Road Safety, <laughs> which is youchooseyrs.org.au. Check out the program, support the program, encourage your schools locally and your councils to get this program to you and to your kids uh, because it could save someone's life and that is ultimately the goal, isn't it? That is, that yeah, it is. is. Yeah, so thanks so much, you guys. I hope you have a good day. Thank you, Emma. We will. And thanks so much for your empathy and, um, you know, your belief in what we're doing. It, it genuinely moves us, so thank you. Yeah, it's all a label one for us, so thank mm, you. Mm. Oh, well, hopefully we can all support you with that because the more people who know about it, the bigger it will get and that's the idea, right? Mm. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you heard, please head to the website, thatshitshow.com, to download more episodes or read the show notes. Also, if anything you've heard today has triggered you and made you upset in any way and you'd like to talk about it, please head to the Lifeline website, lifeline.org.au. The number to call is 131114 because this is heavy stuff and I understand that it can bring up your own emotions um, and your own traumas. So please do reach out for help. Uh, And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening.